Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, say goodbye to safety's pins at races. Bibboards.com with its snap and lock bib fasteners. It's the future. It's here now. Sometimes there's a technology so simple and smart. You're like, how did this not exist till now? Well, this is it for running. These fasteners are built for endurance athletes to keep any bib safe, straight, and secure with no holes, rusting, or jabbing your fingers. Bibboards.com has the snap and lock technology that started a revolution. Plus, these things are environmentally friendly, the cleanest and greenest way to the finish line. You can customize these. You can put your logo on them. You got to check it out. There's tons of options. Race directors, you can print them up for your entire race if you want. Go to bibborbs.com, B-I-B-B-O-A-R-D-S.com. Link in the show notes and use code Let's Run to save 20% off. Use code Let's Run to save 20% off and say goodbye to the safety pin. Welcome to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. Alicia Monson has smashed the American 10,000 meter record by running 30.03 at the 10, but that was only good enough for second as Eilish McColgan ran 30 flat for the win, breaking Paula Radcliffe's British record in the process. Plus, Woody Kincaid outkicks Joe Klecker again, and we'll delve into the complex ethics of whether to trade leads when chasing a world standard. In Tokyo, Rosemary Wanjiru won a very fast Tokyo Marathon in 2.16.28, with Betsy Siner taking fifth in 2.21.40, her first marathon as an American. In the men's race, Cam Levins broke the Canadian and North American records with his 2.05.36, and Deso Gelmisa won it in a three-way kick, but should he be disqualified? We'll debate that as well. Plus, the indoor European championships are in the books, And NCAA indoors are this weekend in Albuquerque. We'll give a quick preview of that meet before myself and Robert Johnson head out west for boots on the ground coverage and some red and green chili. Very excited for that. This is Jonathan Gold, your co-host alongside Robert and Weldon Johnson. Another big weekend of professional running to discuss, guys. I'm excited for this show. How are we doing? Doing well, Jonathan. I think this will be my first trip ever to cover a track meet in Albuquerque. Hard to believe. All these years they've had these meets. I've avoided them like the plague. We used to have employee 1.1 and based in Flagstaff, he would just drive over. Hard to get to, but now I'm excited to go to the meet. John, I want to thank you for your great work. You're the hardest working journalist in track and field. You didn't even let people know. You went to Australia on their behalf to cover the sport. Over the weekend, you were up till 2, 3 a.m. covering Tokyo and the 10. Tomorrow, you're headed out to Sin City for, to get some exclusive behind-the-scenes interviews with all of Mark Wetmore's athletes, Noah Lyles. Who else? Well, I'm not sure if they're exclusive, but we're hoping to talk to Donovan Brazier and Hobbs Kessler, Aaliyah Hobbs, the new American record holder in the 60. So... Should be fun, and then I'll be in Albuquerque. Robert, it's funny you say you've avoided Albuquerque like the plague. Well, the last time I went to Albuquerque to cover a track meet 
the Plague 2.0 broke out. That was the COVID meet. I land there. Within two hours of landing, the entire meet's canceled. The outdoor season is canceled. Then I'm scrambling to book flights back to Boston because I have no idea what the world's going to look like. That was one of the craziest days of my life. So hopefully this time it goes a little better and we actually get to have a track meet in Albuquerque this weekend. Risking your life for the Let's Run Faithful. If you haven't joined the Supporters Club, do so now. Let's run.com slash subscribe because we'll be doing bonus podcasts after the meet ends on Saturday. We're going to record live on YouTube, but most people will not be up. It'll be like 12 past 12 o'clock, I think, on the East Coast, maybe right around midnight, actually, when we start. Join the Supporters Club now. Get the bonus podcast, Super Soft Shirt. And by the way, if you haven't signed up for the, for the VPN that we use, you need to get it because this weekend I was trying to watch Tokyo on full track and there was absolutely zero commentating for the first 40 minutes. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. I go to let's run.com slash VPN updated my VPN one button. I'm just listening to Spain free, free broadcast from Spain. It worked perfectly. Let's run.com slash VPN. Robert, John, please be prepared for the plague to come out. We tie this all together here. Supporters club member. Des Linden has a book coming out. Looks like it's getting good reviews. I haven't read it, but I just sense a good vibe about this book. People in Let's Run seem excited. I don't know if they've actually read it, but somehow they're psyched about it. I am too, right? I'm excited. It's Des Linden. I believe she worked with Bonnie Ford on this. Top journalist. Des is always pretty thoughtful about stuff. I, I think it should be. I'm excited to read it. Yeah, I think I know without even reading it, somehow I'm excited in a lot more of these other running books coming out. But I guess it's coming out Boston Marathon Week. We'll put a link in the show notes to the book if you can pre-order it. But, John, is this a thing? Are you prepared? I guess there's a reading in Boston and masks are required. Is that still a thing in Boston? Most places I go to... Don't require. I, I haven't seen any places in Boston that requires masks. There is one bakery I like to go to that encourages them, but I never wear a mask when I go in there. Because usually I'm only in there for a couple minutes anyway, pick up some donuts, and then Whole Foods. There's a Whole Foods right near my apartment, and I'll go in there, and there are a fair number of people masked. I would say maybe a quarter to a third of patrons in whole foods wear masks and some of the staff but again it's not required and i don't do it oh man if we want to go viral we could probably rank the grocery stores by mask wearing <laughs> yeah. i mean yeah whole foods you would think it would be uh in the higher levels there i may do that take a camera <laughs> do a survey go to trader joe's and whole foods but yeah back from the brother-in-law golf trip this weekend and I was not a don't play very much golf and was pulling mask out of my golf jacket left and right. And I was like, when's the last time I wore a mask? So maybe we should start that by asking Weldon. He was not watching these events live. He was hanging out with the, with the in-laws and you know, the two biggest events were Saturday night, first marathon major of the year, Tokyo takes place. And then the 10 takes place. So which were you most excited to see the results for? How did you find them? Did you go to the front page? Did you go to the forum? 
I'd love to think about it because the average person isn't watching everything live like Jonathan and I. Oh, for the record, though, I did not watch the 10 live. I did not, I have not actually watched a step of the 10. Originally, I told John it was too late for me. I was going to bed. Then I said, that's not right. That's not right. I'll stay up and edit the pieces for John. But I did go over to my friend's house and have a few beverages while the races were going on. Oh, Robbie, say hardest working man in journalism. I mean, you're staying up to edit the piece, so you're not slacking off on the weekends either. But yeah, Weldon, what's your big? What was your big takeaway? Like, what hit you? You hit the Let's Run.com homepage on Sunday morning. Tokyo's up there. The Ten's up there. What strikes you first? What strikes me first? It's the thing that's still striking me. Come on, the first thing I see is super hot. Clutch your furious with Kincaid, and I'm like, this is awesome. I loved it. I still love it. This thread, we haven't had a thread like this in a long time. I was way more into the 10 than the Tokyo Marathon. Well, I had more expectations. You know, if something crazy had happened in Tokyo, I'd been more excited. But once I saw that, this was right at my wheelhouse. 10K, OAC gets a lot of buzz these days. Woody Kincaid was just on the podcast. You know, running great, doing his own thing. I, I just love this. And my apologies to Eilish McColgan and um, Alicia Monson. I mean, they both break national records, and I wanted to talk about the men's 10,000 meters in the sound running meet. Well, we should give some context to what you're talking about here because there is a thread on Let's Run. It was super hot after the race saying, Klecka furious with Kincaid. And it was started by a poster called Drew Who. It says, Blecker yelled something at Kincaid, pulled his, pull his singlet off, and stomped through the infield, ranting and raving. Anyone catch what he said to Woody? We're debating the accuracy of this account because, look, in the race itself, if you didn't watch it, it was a record. They were setting it up to chase the world and Olympic standards. The world standards 2710, the Olympic standards 27 flat. They had a pacemaker, a few pacemakers, but Ollie Hall was the last one, provided by On Athletics Club. He's Joe Klecker's teammate. And he went through four miles. They were a 27-11 pace when he stepped off. Joe Klecker takes over and leads the next six and three-quarters laps. And then Woody Kincaid, at that point, is getting a little antsy. They're slipping away from the World Championship standard pace. He clips Joe from behind at about 1K to go, and then he moves right past him and leads the final two and a quarter laps, and they end up getting under the standard after both of them kick hard. Woody closed in 55, Joe closed in 56. Pretty impressive closes for those guys. Kincaid wins in 2706. Klecker is second in 2707. But then the drama afterwards, I don't know if there was that much drama. I mean, I wasn't there, but... Klecker, the only thing you see on the video is Klecker is walking off across the infield with his shirt off. And I can, some people, I think, maybe they want to place some frustration onto him because he did most of the work and then Woody tips, tooks off and wins it. And then Joe, after the race, posts on Twitter, I was mad after the race, not because Woody wouldn't take the lead, but that I was clipped from behind with 900 meters to go. My cough seized up and I was unsure if I'd be able to finish such as racing. Thanks to Sam running for a great event. So I think people want there to be a rivalry. Maybe there is. What do you guys make of this situation? John, you missed the key point. 
they got the world standard, but not the Olympic standard. And also, yeah, just because we can't see it on the video, and we were even looking at the IP address of the poster, clearly Klecker was upset. He wanted the Olympic standard. That's what he wanted more than anything. I don't think Kim K cared as much. But this thing set up for him to get his book his ticket essentially to the Olympics or have a really good shot. He does most of the lion's share of the work, or pretty much almost all of it. Gets clipped and then outkicked by Woody Kincaid again and misses the standard. It's human nature to be pissed off. But I don't think you put out that tweet unless you were upset, right? Well, he admitted he was upset, but he was mad after the race. He said, I was mad after the race, but he's saying it was more because he got clipped and that caused his calf to seize up, not, you know, not because what he wasn't leading. But I'm, look, but I, this, this thread is great, though, because it gets into all of this. Like, how much of an obligation do you have to lead a race? Is this a race or more of a time trial and all this stuff? And also, we can get into, do you buy Joe Klecker's tweet? I'm not buying it. I don't know. I think there's some uncertainty about exactly what played out in this situation. I think it's any sort of drama like this is good for track and field. Like it's, we need to have rivalries. They're from two different groups. They've raced each other twice this year. Woody, Woody has won both of them, but Joe is the reigning U.S. champion, and Woody dropped out of that race last year. This is the kind of thing we need. You know, they're going to race each other again at USA's. Presuming, well, let's see. I'm not even certain about that though. Would Woody double up in the 5K and 10K? They're both in the same span. I think he probably has a better shot at meddling in the 5K. Like, who knows if they'll actually be in the same race at USA's, but they are top two of the top distance riders in the United States. It's it's good if they're not always getting along. That just makes an event more exciting. But I don't know exactly how much of this is real and how much is driven by this Let's Run thread you're reading. Well, this Let's Run thread is classic let's run this will be the post of the week this is by a registered user and i don't think i've ever seen a post with 300 upvotes i'm sure it has happened but this post by not actually me that's the registered name got 317 upvotes so here it is this is explicitly a time trial to get a standard woody was a mooch who was clipping from behind he was mooching so hard if Woody pulls his weight and takes some laps in there, they had a chance to hit the 2024 standard. But nope, Woody doing Woody things. I don't mind a sit and kick at BU, but tonight was too much. Yeah, this it gets into the larger debate because we saw this in the women's race as well, where Alicia Monson led almost the entire race once Josette Andrews, the pacer, stepped off, but Ailish McColgan blows by her for the win and the British record. In a situation like this, where the time is more important than placing. And it devolves into two people attacking the time and the rest of the race is well behind them. What do they owe to each other in terms of taking the lead? The way I see it is it's kind of like a dinner party. The On Athletics Club here was throwing a dinner party. They're like, hey, we're catering it. We've got all this other stuff. And then, you know, it would be kind of nice if you're a guest to the party, show up with a bottle of wine, you know? Take a couple laps, help. You're getting this great meal, you're getting a great atmosphere, you're getting dragged along. You know, might be nice to do that. If you show up empty-handed, is it the worst thing in the world? No. And look, the end goal is to win the race. Well, I guess the end goal is to get the time. But 
I don't have a huge issue with it, but at the same time, yeah, it'd be nice if he showed up with that bottle of wine. What he brought the dessert, John. He brought the dessert. Well, he he that's the interesting point though, because Woody took over, they were behind pace when Woody took the lead. And I, I'm sure Joe would have kicked the last lap. Maybe they still get it, but he did pick up the the pace a little bit. And you know, he ran 65-5-65-0 for his penultimate two laps. He took the lead with 900 to go. He helped get them rolling a little bit when the world standard was getting away from them. But Woody also said in his post-race interview with Colleen Quigley that he really only acted once he realized they might not get the world standard. That's when he was like, oh, I, I got to take over. Joe, earlier in the race, motioned for him to go by, and Woody did not take him up on it. Yeah, I don't know. Would it have been nice if he took the, the lead? Yeah, but this is also this is a professional sport. Like they've got their own obligations. Like Woody Kincaid's goal is to get Woody Kincaid the Olympic standard or world standard and get Woody Kincaid onto the world team. It's not to help out Joe Klecker. So I don't know. I can see both arguments, but I think it would have been nice if Woody brought that bottle of wine. Same goals with same goes with McCulligan in the women's race. Though that one I have a little less sympathy for because like that was Monson attacking the American record. Like that was very clearly a race where that was the goal and that's what everything's geared around. So Monson's goal is to get, get the American record. She's more on her own there. Whereas the other one, they're both going for the standard. This is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. On the women's, it's clear cut, clear cut, clear cut. McCogan did nothing wrong. You mooch as long as you can. The standard was never in question. They're running 30 flat pace and the standard's 30, 40. They clearly were going to hit the time no matter what happened. You sit and you kick. If you've got the fastest kick, you're under zero obligation to kick, to, to lead, and why would you lead? I would actually wait to the last 50 meters of every race and then do it. People would be pissed. Steve Prefontaine would be rolling over in his grave, but whatever. For this, the men's race, it's a little bit different because you'd rather finish, to be honest, let's say 20 guys break, 27 flat. You'd rather be 20th place and run 26.59 than you would be first place in the same race and run 27.02. Like, there's just not any doubt about it. If you get the Olympic standard, you're almost certainly going to the Olympics. But, that being said, they got so many world ranking points, and on the men's side, we're going to go to world ranking points. It's almost certain. Read the article I have up in the, the week that was, we'll link to in the show notes. Only like seven people in the world have the 27 flat standard. They're going to take eight from cross country. That'll be 15. We need another 12 people. They're going to go to the world standard. These guys got so many points. It's like the equivalent. There's 60 bonus points for the win. I think maybe 50 per second. So would he win the equivalent of like 26, 29? Clucker ran the equivalent of like 26, 40 something probably. Like they're going to be, it's going to be almost impossible to be higher than them. If they they have another good 10,000 meter result between now and Paris. Robert, there's another year and almost half before Paris. Like, come on to say that you can go to ranking points. We don't know. And John said, oh, all that matters is the time. All that matters is the time if you don't hit this, if, if you hit the standard. If you don't hit the standard, actually winning the race is very important. Woody Kincaid got a lot more ranking points than Joe Klecker, I think. So there is something to be said about winning the race. Is our sport just going to become glor- I thought the whole point of the ranking system was to make races matter. And yet now we're just saying all that matters is the time. It's sort of like a bit of a convoluted mess, no? Well, this is why they should just, again, 
If the U.S. is going to send three, let us send whatever three we want to have. The replacement should happen, and we need more races to matter. Then the top three will matter. Instead, we're going to go to the trials. Maybe four guys have the standard. That doesn't fix things, Robert, though, because someone still needs to get the standard that way. That was what these guys are doing. The standard doesn't make any sense because we already have too many women with with the standard, and they didn't lower it for the Olympics. It's 30-40 for some women at the time, whereas for the men, it's a much harder standard to hit, and fewer men are hitting doesn't make sense to it. But look at these splits. They weren't going to hit the standard anyways. They're on 27.10 pace at 6,400 meters, according to John, 27.11. It's 65 flat is 27.05. So you've got to run like someone do the math. Is it 64.8 the whole way? He proceeds to run 66 flat, 65.4, 65.8, 65.8. And the one mile that he's leading there, he's tossed away one, 2.2, three seconds. So they're on like... 2715, or they're probably on 27, probably on closer to 2720 pace at that point. But if you just keep running those splits, you're probably going to run like you're going to still kick it down and get close to 2710. They were 2716 pace with three laps to go. And that's the lap that Woody took the lead. Yeah. And I mean, I love this thread. We'll link to it. But. Apart from how much Woody should lead, whether there's any obligation to lead, this fucking controversy is great for the sport. This post here by Drew Who. If Klecker and OAC really want to do what's good for the sport, they should really lean into this beef with Woody. No more PC statements on Twitter. This has all the makings of a great contentious rivalry. And then even in the comments you see this, here's one guy. I don't think much of any... Much of anybody likes Kincaid, to be honest with you. I'm not a fan of the guy at all. I think he's arrogant and cocky. Enjoy it while you can, Woody, because once the running your running days are over, I don't think you're going to have much of anything to fall back on. I mean, Whoa. that's pretty harsh. And then someone says, huh, I was about to write the same comment about Joe. I'm not a fan of OAC and think they're cocky and arrogant. Once the wall's crumbling down like they did at the NLP, they won't have much to fall back on. There, I fixed it for you. Whoa. I mean, they're they're generating strong opinions. I don't I don't think either of them are that arrogant or cocky. They're both they're two. They're the last two U.S. ten thousand meter champions. I mean, I don't know. Oh, how the hell did Grant Fisher get kicked out? Kicked down by Joe Clacker? I guess Woody's got the, a kick of like a whole nother level. But like, if you're Joe, of course I take off my shirt and I'm pissed off. This guy's got my number. I did all the damn work. But yeah, totally understandable reaction to be frustrated. I don't blame anyone to be frustrated in that situation. Get a better kick. And we didn't introduce John properly. John, the publicist for the OAC. John just John released broke the story to the world about the formation of the OAC, I believe. Is that an accurate statement? That's true. John, give us the OAC spin on this. Another I think, loss. Another well, loss. Then you're from just Joe revealing Becker. yourself as someone who never led any race in your entire life unless you were paid by the Chicago Marathon to do so. Because if you race some of these things and you're one of the people who is leading the whole way and then someone comes and blows by you, yeah, you're going to feel like, oh, damn, I wish that guy had done a little bit of the work. But at the same time, look, this is professional running. You know? What do you think? It's a race to the finish. Usually the goal of a race is to win, right? I know this time was, this one, the time's important, but... I, this is not some great tragedy. Oh, these guys didn't lead off of the race. No, professional running gets to the finish line first. I, don't, I mean, that's the bottom line. But like I said, 
when it's just two people and you're both working for the standard, I think it could be mutually beneficial if you're trading leads. And maybe the maybe they run a little faster. They probably don't break 27, but they maybe have a better chance if Woody leads a little earlier. John, when I went to the front in the race, I kept it to the finish, baby. Montreal, 10,000 meters. Oh, wait, the Olympic trials, 5,000. When I took the lead in a slow race, and I swear to God, I almost got lapped in a 5K <laughs> on national TV. Is it, wait, is that a running rule? We've had the rules of running. I put one on Twitter. I can't remember what it was. Do you remember what I put the other day, John? Oh, ne- number one rule of running, never get past the inside. The number two of rule of running might be like the like rando who pushes the pace you know, when it's slow, always gets drilled. Like, they never hang on. Yeah, that's pretty much the case. My take, I think it's fucking great Woody won the race. As a journalist and fan, I'm way more excited Woody won. They didn't hit the standard. It's so much better. But if we, he should have fucking pushed the pace. I <laughs> mean, But then also, people are saying, like, look, what, what, what's the finishing time? 2705? 2706. Yeah, they may not have hit it. It sounds easy. Of course, you would have gotten it. But one thing that was interesting that no one's pointed out, have we forgotten last year? Woody rabbited more than more than he should have for an entire lifetime. I I, I said Woody Kincaid honestly should have been paid twenty five thousand dollars for what he did last year. He rabbited for seven thousand meters in a twenty six thirty three race. He made Grant Fisher so much money that I would have given him probably my entire American record bonus because that bonus you get, then you get to keep it. You cap, you, you, it stacks on for the rest of the years. I would give him one year of the bonus. If he gets it for four, I would, if you get a $25,000 bonus times four, so it's a hundred grand, you give him 25,000. So he did a lot of leading last year, which gets to the interesting thing though. Is like, this is set up by the OAC. Like people were speculating in the future, will they have just an OAC exclusive event? If they do, guess what? World athletics needs to get rid of all the bonus points. That, that shouldn't be allowed, honestly. I don't even think. Like, there's so few 10,000s. You need to let everybody do it. Um, but, uh, you know, if people do want to get the standard, I think one thing that the, the Americans should start doing, because the thing I don't like about this is it's like, okay, who can ever pay for the most rabbit? You know, if you're Salazar and you can pay for Steven Sambu to, to rabbit rough, you know, to rabbit rough for 9,900, 99 meters and then bow down for him as, as Rub gets, through, you know, crosses the finish line in first. That's just not fair. It's like, who has the most money? Who can get the right visas to get people over to rabbit? But if you go into a road race where there's a bunch of people breaking 27 flat and you can wear the cheater shoes, that seems to be the way to do it. Oh, Dathan Ritzenheim earlier this year told me, I think at some point in the next year or two, they're probably going to do a road race like that and send, you know, Joe Clunk, Alicia Monson's good through Tokyo, sorry, through Paris, but yeah, Joe Klecker, get him in shape and throw him in one of those fast European road races and have him take a shot at sub-27, because there will be people running that fast. Before we move on to another topic, all this talk here about sitting and kicking and leading or not, I mean, it reminds me of one of the greatest stories I'm going to say in Let's Run history, although some would say this isn't a Let's Run story, but to me it is because Let's Run is all about John Kellogg and his training philosophy. There's only one guy that's known John longer than Weldon to me. His name is Paul Stoneham, two-time footworker finalist. 
was a couple years older than us and lived with us in Flagstaff. He's good friends with Alan Culpepper. And he basically, I'd forgotten this until John reminded me this, taught Alan Culpepper everything he knows about racing and was instrumental. And Alan actually winning the race when Weldon ran 2806. Um, he, by the way, for the record, full disclosure, he did not lead that race. He just sat in the pack because he was in terrible shape. He was like 2850 coming in, just sat. It was 14, four, it was 14 flat, dead even for the first half. Weldon falls off a little bit in the last mile, runs 2006. But Alan Culpepper beat Mab for the first time on the track and, and, and won that race. But why did he do it? Because he listened to Paul Stoneham. So a few months previously, USA Cross was in Texas where we lived. And Paul and John Kellogg are at that meet. And Alan Culpepper and Mab have broken clear of the field. And Culpepper's just pushing the pace, pushing the pace, pushing the pace. And Paul, very smart guy. You know, he's been coached by John. He says to his good friend, Alan Culpepper, Alan, you're faster than him. Alan kind of looks over, comes by again. Alan, you're faster than him, meaning you don't need to be doing any of the damn work. Just wait till it comes down to a kick and you're going to blow his doors off, which is what happened. Alan won that race. He won the USA's on the track. So if you're faster, you're generally going to win. Now, that didn't happen actually last year at USA's when Fisher lost to Klecker. Fisher's like, oh, I felt pretty good, but so did Klecker. And somehow Klecker outkicked him. So that was amazing. But in general, we're seeing, we saw the flaws in both Joe Klecker and Alicia Monson. And pretty much, while they'll probably never win on the track, they do not have that finishing speed. It's a thing on the track. They're like Ritzenheim. They don't really have it. And, you know, they're great runners, but it's going to be tough for them. Robert, are you claiming that your friend Paul Shelton invented sit and kick? Paul Stoneham, John. Stoneham. Stoneham. Sorry. Paul Shelton. Was he from, uh, is that from Misery? Yeah, that was James Kahn's character in Misery was Paul Shelton. So I'm confusing it. I'm sorry. Good point, John. That was like a five-minute story about sitting and kicking. You should <laughs> just you like, can, am I losing my mind here? That's the whole message that Robert's saying. It's like every college distance runner knows that. But hey, well, apparently not. The head coach of the Hoko NAZ Elite had to be told this. So I think a lot of times people think, oh, and, and apparently after the race, he's like, Well, what were you thinking? He's like, Well, you know, I I'd broken free of everybody else. I wanted to break free of him, but you're faster than him. So people just want to end races early. I think it makes them feel better. Like you're feeling pretty good. It's just nervous to have somebody there, but there's no need to do it. So, but there's this whole honor thing. And that's what the whole message board thing is about. It's always honorable. Pre would have hated this race and was disgusted by it. Well, does the guy with the kick ever think it's ever disgusting not to lead at all? Oh, well, here's the thing. Championship racing is totally different. There, there's no, like that's a completely viable strategy. If you're not, good enough to drop the person, sorry. They'll just play sit and kick on you. That's part of being a better runner. I have no issues with it at all. And I really don't have much of an issue in a time trial race like this, but I think it's more of a debate. In championship racing, yes, of course, you sit and kick if that's your strategy to win every day. And there's nothing dishonorable about it. I did want to talk about Monson, though, because 3003, I mean, she smashed Molly Huddle's American record here. And Huddle, some respect to that race. She ran it 30-13. It was the heat in the morning in Rio. Crazy race. Really impressive run. Didn't have super shoes. But what Monson did, I was very impressed by because the pace, they were actually behind record pace 
at halfway when Jose Andrews dropped out. It was 15.09. And then she runs 14.54, leading almost every step in the second half. She ran faster without a rabbit than with a rabbit. And she was just grinding. I, I was super impressed by Monson's strength in that. And obviously very impressed by Ailish McColgan as well. She's in the middle of marathon training. She's running London in seven weeks. And she just decides, oh, I'm in pretty good 10K shape. I might as well hop in here. She runs 30, 30 flat, just breaks Paula Radcliffe's record that had stood for more than 20 years. So just terrific racing, terrific running by both of them. I think both of them, you know, obviously McColgan, to be able to kick that well in the midst of marathon training was pretty good. Yeah, when I read this one, I was shocked with the result. I just figured, oh, you're training for a marathon. Maybe you won't have that much of a kick, but I don't know. I moved to the mountains to train for the marathon, and I got much better at the 10K. Endurance goes a long way in these events. Yeah, and this also, this is not a championship 10K. I mean, if you're in the middle of marathon training, you're going to be more suited to run a time trial kind of 10K than a championship kind of 10K, I would think. Let's give her some credit. I mean, Ailish McColgan won the Ethiopian 10K trials last year. Now, they all let her go, but she still, I'm just saying she she crossed the finish line first in that race. She won the Commonwealth Games, 10,000. Granted, it wasn't against the very best Kenyans, but, you know, she, got to give them, like, when she entered this race, I'm like, okay, this is the one person who could beat Alicia Monson. So was I stunned by this result? No, I was impressed. I wasn't stunned. Yeah. I wish McColgan, like, she stepped up her game these last couple years. For the longest time, she obviously got a lot of attention in Britain. Her mom is Liz McColgan, who won the Worlds in 1991 at 10K. But I was like, oh, she gets attention. She's just nothing like her mom. And she's still not quite like her mom, but she's a British record holder now. In but a 5K, 10K, and half marathon. Not just one event. She's really upped her game, though. I mean, she's gotten a lot faster these last couple of years. So I, I'm not sure. Maybe she's a responder to the shoes. You know, over time, stays a little bit healthier now. I don't know what the difference is with her. Um, the thing for me, though, in this race, John, it's a different era. It's a completely different era. I wanted someone to go sub-30. That way, it was sort of, I saw the result, and I go, oh, nobody went sub-30. But... From that first half, if you go 1509, it's really hard to do. So, yes, props to Monson for pushing this thing, but I mean, she's the American record holder. I guess I shouldn't be too critical <laughs> too critical of her. She she's really established herself as you know, she, it's not the same as Molly Huddle, but if she, she's probably as good as Molly Huddle was before she got the medal. Like she's at, 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 the, at that medal level. did Molly Huddle get? Well, she should have had a medal. Or fine before the thirty thirteen in the Olympics Rio. What place did that get her? Sixth. I think so. Yeah, that's better. That was better than the run where she finished fourth and let up for the line. I'm sorry that that was an amazing run in the heat. I'm sorry, I, better run. I agree. It is. I I would love to see what Molly Huddle, prime Molly Huddle, or prime Shane Flanagan, who ran thirty twenty two in the Olympic final in Beijing to get the silver. I would love to see what one of those two could have done. You put them in a perfect manicured race like this, great conditions. I think they're probably breaking 30 flat with the shoes and everything. Probably. Of course they are. I mean, look, this is a great run by Monson. 
I mean, think about it. Like, no one, the collegiate record is as good as Tui is. She still hasn't broken 15 minutes. This woman's closing, you know, in 14, 15. It's like the top, it reminds you of how good the top pros wow. are. Like, like we've debated, you know, well, isn't, isn't the stat, the world record in the marathon? It used to be that take the split in half and that's faster than the American record in the half marathon. So you can have the Americans sit out the race, half the race, wait halfway and still not beat them. You can have most American runners waiting at half, most American or even pros waiting in half, halfway at this 5,000 start the race and they can't, they can't beat Alicia Monson. Well, also to put that record into context, the half marathon world record pace is 29.47 for 10K. So neither of these women ran the same pace as Gaudet did for 13.1 miles. But Wait, that's crazy. We're about to, at the end of this podcast, I'm sure we're going to say Caitlin Tui this, Caitlin Tui that. She's really established herself as an American star. Caitlin Tui may not have been able to keep up for halfway. I'm not buying it. I think Caitlin Tui can go way under 15, 54. I'll just say that much then. Or is Monson that good? I mean, when you think of no, it that no, way. I, no, remember, they raced each other in the 3K indoors, and Monson beat her by 10 seconds. Monson's clearly better, but Caitlin Tui hasn't been in a race where you've got three professional women just basically rabbiting you. for. I think you stick Caitlin Tui in the first 5K of this race, and you make it a 14.55 instead of a 15.09. I think she runs... Yeah, fourteen fifty-five or somewhere in that range. But the problem is, too, he's probably not going to get into that kind of race before she graduates college. And the other thing I will say about Alicia Monson, she's only twenty-four years old. The fact that she's got the American record in the three K and the American record now in the ten K at this young an age, I'm very excited to see if she, how much she can improve. Because if you're already running that fast now, twenty-four, that's not always your peak as a ten K runner. We've seen. American women run well in this event deep into their 20s. So I'm very excited to see her progression. I, I think Robert's like, oh, she never had the kick to medal in the 10K. I mean, she almost won the 3K in Lausanne last year against some of the best 5K runners in the world. So right now, no. But in a few years, especially in a world where maybe not all the top talents are running it, I'd say she's got a chance. She definitely can medal at a world's. Because some of the women might not be running it. They might want to try to run a, run a marathon. They might be injured. I don't think... I mean, it's not inconceivable at the Olympics. But I think when Flanagan did it, it was easier. I mean, people don't like to hear this. But Africa was a very sexist place 20 years ago. There weren't as many compete, women competing. I would still say it's pretty to somewhat sexist now. But it's getting better. So there are more opportunities for these women, which means more depth for the U.S. women to compete against. I would also say this, though. Are we even sure Alicia Monson is going to win USA's? I mean, I know Elise Cranny didn't run this race. Uh, I don't think things have been going, you know, I don't think she was ready to run an American record. Cranny did get smoked by Monson the last time they raced. But looking at the last two U.S. championships, Alicia Monson didn't win any of them. She's never won a U.S. title on the track. I don't think it's crazy to suggest that Schweizer outkicked her in the 10K last year. If Schweizer is healthy and ready, to, you know, maybe she's not as fit as Monson is right now, but USA is on until July. I don't think she's a lock to even win the US title. So 
keeping things in perspective, but obviously this was a tremendous display of fitness. She's not a lock, but she's the, definitely the favorite, John. Because those other two, I mean, are they even going to be on the starting line? I mean, Schweizer hasn't been racing, and Elise Cranny got smoked and dropped out of this race. She got smoked at Milrose and dis- withdrew from this race. So, obviously, yeah, Monson's the favorite right now. Okay, what about the lesser places in these races? Is there anything even worth mentioning? I yes. just sort of, in my mind, I went before the race, like before I clicked through, I was like, okay, what am I thinking? And then I'm like, oh, what about Grijalva? But Luis Grijalva was total non-factor here. This guy was fourth at Worlds last year in the 5K, running really well. He's run you know, pretty well this year indoors. And finished, let's see here, ninth place, 27.42. Third place, Athenas Kyoko. This was pretty good. This guy was pacing. He still ran 27.23. Now, give him a clean shot at it. I think he maybe, who knows what he could do. Um, Connor Mance, 27.25. Jonas Rice, 27.26. Rin Tazawa, Japan, 27.28. Niels Vogt, I mean, these are a lot of foreigners. Puma, 27.30. Sam Chalenga, 38 years old. Is that right? He beats Grijalva in this. I'll give him props for that. Well, my reactions to these results, Grijalva, that's disappointing for him. With what he's done in the 5,000, he was fourth at Worlds, and what he's been running this year indoors, you would, I mean, he set the Guatemalan record, but you would want to run faster than 27.42. Uh, Kyoko, great race. Connor Mance, 27.25, basically running his PR in the midst of marathon training for Boston. That's a good sign for him. Uh, I was impressed by Chalanga, but we knew he was in pretty good shape from World Cross two weeks ago. The, unfortunately, like, look, Emmanuel Bohr did not run well in this race at all. He didn't have a great race at World Cross, said he was sick. This one, he tries to run the standard two weeks later. He runs 28.01. He isn't even close. He kind of gets, he's just in an unfortunate position. He wins the US trials and cross thinking if I finish top 15 at World Cross, I'm going to get the 10K standard. Oh, but actually they pulled that out of the rules. So you don't get the standard this year for finishing top 15 at World Cross. Flies to Australia, doesn't race well there, and then comes back to us to the 10 and bombs this race. He's sort of the counter argument. All those people saying, oh, these guys, they shouldn't be running. Like We want to see them all run World Cross country, but he's a guy, he put all his eggs in World Cross, which I really appreciate and love. And he comes back and he might not have a chance to make the 10K team now because this was his one start at the standard and he bombed. Yeah, it proves all the critics wrong, but so what? Guess what? Emmanuel Career has already run as many worlds this year as Joe Clacker will run. One. Emmanuel Boer. What did I say? You said Emmanuel Career. Emmanuel Boer, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I, I was really disappointed to see that. I, I want the guys to be rewarded, but... If I go to Worlds and bomb, I'm not trying to do a 10,000 two meters two, two weeks later. Like when we when I talked to them at USA, they said it's, they kind of implied that they were just going to skip the 10 because they didn't think it was doable and and focus on the five. But there, there's a couple other results here that that were I just there's a few things that bother me about this whole thing. Like if you've got Kyoko pacing to 27, 23, why don't you pay him twenty thousand dollars to rabbit this thing out for eight thousand meters and put it out at 27 flat pace? And why don't you have pacing lights? Like, I don't get it. We, we got the guy. I will pay for it next year if you're too cheap to figure out how to get the damn pacing lights from Eugene. Lightspeed pacing. He can teach me how to do it if, if he doesn't want to do it. 
but I just thought they should have had a little bit better pacing and they should have had the lights. Then on the women's side, I was very impressed by Ellie Hennis. She hadn't really run the 10K much. She runs 30-48, just misses the standard. She beat Ellie, she beat Natasha Rogers, who made the world's team last year in this event. And then Fiona O'Keefe, 30-55. All of them are in the mix. Unfortunately for all of them, they might have problems. You know, It's going to be hard for them to make the U.S. team because, we, as we said, they're already between the world cross-country ranking spots and the people who have the standard. The, the field for Worlds is maxed out at the moment if everyone accepts their spots. And even if they don't, I have the feeling that USATF, they're not going to say, okay, we'll pick you because your world ranking is good and we expect these two people to drop out. They're probably just going to look at the list of athletes and say, oh, we're not actually, you're not actually guaranteed to get in if we name you to the team. So we're just going to pick the people who have the standards. So this was a good race, especially for Ellie Hennis. But getting to USA's, even if you finish in the top three, she might be in trouble unless, you know, one of Schweizer, Munson, or Cranny literally can't run USA's. Yeah, Rogers would be the first. Well, she's number two in the rankings for track rankings, but it doesn't look like they're going to go to track rankings. But that's where USATF needs to call World Athletics. I mean, there needs to be some common sense, like a human being on the phone for an hour, like, okay, these people didn't enter, so you will get this fourth person if they're in. Like, it's going to be absurd if they didn't. But yeah, I thought it was a good run for Rogers and, and Hennis, but they really need the standard on the women's side because they're going to give eight cross-country rankings out. So, Well, the other thing is, if someone declines their spot via the world cross-country rankings, that ranking does not pass to the next highest person. It just gets eliminated. So they would only take seven cross-country people. Now, well, I don't understand do you know why that? any of those people... That's huge. It, I don't know, but here's the thing. I don't understand why any of those people would decline a spot, but if they do, that frees up another spot in the field for someone else. This is a huge development. I, I didn't know that there... I do think a lot of these people won't go. I mean, we've already seen a lot of European countries saying, oh, we're not going to send you unless you can medal or be top 10. Like, do we really think that the last woman right now qualifying on, on cross country rankings is Verle Baker of the Netherlands. Do we really think the Netherlands are going to send her with her 1554, 5,000 meter PB? Like to Budapest? Why wouldn't they? It's not, it's not like it's a long flight from Amsterdam. Just cause that's their, if you're going to be totally uncompetitive and embarrass yourself, they, they, a lot of these countries don't generally send you. Yeah. But those athletes don't generally qualify in the past. Usually in the past, there was a standard you would have to hit. Now you're getting athletes who wouldn't have been going in the past, but it's a quick trip. I, I assume these federations would enter them, even though, yeah, if you're a 1550 woman in the 10K final at Worlds, you're probably going to get lapped once or twice. For the record, Verle Bacher ran at Portland last year. Can't even make the NCAA meet. Was 24th in the regional meet in the steeplechase. Okay, well, that's quite enough on... Two 10,000 meter races. I'm shocked we talked this long about it, but this is let's run.com. Let's go to Tokyo, the first world marathon major of the year. A few things stood out about this race. One was Rosemary Wanjiru winning the women's race 216.18. Sorry, 216.28. 
Doesn't break the course record set last year. That's impressive run. She's based in Jap- Japan. And I actually felt bad. Sege Sehe Demichu, the runner-up in that race, at 216.56. She's only the second person in history to run 216 and lose. But it's also a reminder that we are living in a new era and 216 is probably what 219 was five or six years ago. On the men's side, a couple things to discuss here. Cam Levins was spectacular, leading the race at 40K, 205.36 Canadian record, North American record. And then up front, came down to a three-way battle for the win. We didn't see very much of this because the world feed decided to focus on the top Japanese runner for most of the final mile. But it was Deso Gelmisa of Ethiopia outkicking his countryman, Mohamed Essa. And there was some debate. Should he have been DQ'd? Because he veered way off a straight line in the finishing straight. Robin Weldon, have you seen this video? Do you have an opinion on this? Absolutely not a DQ. What he did was totally Bush League. But when's the last time we saw... Name a race where you see someone maintain a straight line in any race. Every track race I ever see, people are finishing in lane two, lane three. No one stays in lane one like they should. So it's just a matter of how far you're going to push it. It was a very weird finish. There's three guys sprinting. He, then he's barely ahead, but he, he knows he hasn't. Puts his hands up. Total Bush League. The other guy should have run into them and, and then make the officials make the call. But I'm not DQing for that. Yeah, I agree with you, Robert. I Pretty much 100%. Bush League, not DQ worthy. I think when it's a DQ, it needs, like in a race like this especially, it pretty much needs to be you're either forcing him off the course, which Wesley Kiptu almost did in Houston. That's why I think we were feeling a little bit differently about that one. And, or it needs to be like, you are literally step like they're about to pass you and you just step right in front of them and block them or you're blocking them with your arm or something like that. That's how bad it needs to be because this is very high stakes. But in this case, I agree with you, Robert. Push league, but not a DQ. Or just start saying you're going to do it ahead of time in all the races. If you do not run a straight line to the finish, you're DQ'd. Like, everyone's doing it. It's just, it's getting worse and worse. Like, this should be, eventually you're going to have to do it because it's getting ridiculous. But I've seen it in so many other races where they haven't done it. I'm not just drawing the line here. But mainly because the other guy didn't push it and bump into him. If he bumps into him, I might do it. But I don't want to DQ the guy and give him no money. I probably want to place him second or third. Well, it also depends how much of a gap you have though because if you're running if you've got a gap of like two steps and you cut in front of someone's line well then that guy he can't just run through your back and then say oh i was dq'd like that doesn't really work it needs to be like you're cutting right in front of him like he's got like half a step or something you just all you're doing is to block him off you're not actually trying to get to the finish line so but in terms of the rest of the race, I was really into the depth of the Japanese. I, I actually. Oh, here we go again. Here we go again. Of course, that's where we'll go. Well, let's hear it. I know, but for the record, definitely not a DQ. Well, what? I, John was complaining that no one in the top 10 or rankings was in, was in Tokyo. But I thought they were smart. They got a bunch of 204 guys, and they wanted to basically have a huge pack that the Japanese could run with. And they did. 71 men in this race 
went out in sub 210 pace. The mo- the record for most sub 210s in a marathon is 20. I mean, excuse me, it's 42. And I thought we could we could do that because something like over 50 guys had done it in the last three years. But almost all of them blow up. I think we only had 20 guys end up breaking 210 and like 75 broke 220. So, but you had the Japanese guys going for it. You had Cam Levins going for it. It ended up, you know, being pretty exciting. What's wrong with talking about the depth? People are always like, oh, the Americans aren't focused on the marathon. I just think that the Japanese are better suited physiologically for the marathon. I do think, yes, it's a big deal for them too, culturally. But this is where they also, it's a combination of the culture and the genetics. I mean, these, these two guys that ran 205 from Japan, they're half marathon PBs. They're like 62.20 and 62.30. They're just really good at almost being 98% for the whole damn way. Robert, they don't run the half that much because they went out faster than that. They went out like 62.10 in this. And Cam Webbins is genetically suited better than the Americans for the marathon as well. I think it shows. You go pound out a lot of miles on the roads. Cam Levins is known for what? Running a ridiculous amount of miles. That's what he was known for in Let's Run. And then I don't think he did. He go to. He don't think he went to NLP right away. I think he went to NLP after a year out, right? Or did he go right away out of college? I'm not certain on the timeline. That was before I was working for Let's Run. See, that shows how long ago this was. Then he went to NLP. And I feel like he left pretty soon after the first BBC stuff broke. Is that a fair assessment? But this guy was not running well. Go back. You want, how did he do in 2016 Olympics? 2017 Worlds. Well, wait a second. He had a good year with NOP. 2015, I thought he was pretty good, right? He ran 27.07, Canadian record at Prefontaine. Yeah, no, he was good. And then he, all of a sudden he wasn't. 2016, no Olympics. 2017, no Worlds. He was still running races. I don't know how shocked Canada put him on the 2016 Olympic team. I assume he would have had a qualifier, but maybe not. Maybe it was from too early the year before. But, I mean, this guy, I thought he was done. But maybe it's the old montage. Do I need to even say it? I know which one you're thinking of. Well, then, I think it applies here. Actually, it's interesting. TGA. Because I wanted to get into a... I wanted to bring something up about Levens, but the depth thing, this race, I was interested in this, Robert, because watching it, there were 40 men on 204 pace through 15K. 21 of them are Japanese. One Japanese man in history has run 205. But we see this all the time in these Japanese marathons. People will just go out insanely fast, and some of them will hang on and run 207. Some of them will hang on and run 206. Some of them will just totally blow up and not even break 210. And it's amazing to me because, I mean, 21 American, what's the most Americans in one race who have ever been on 204 pace at basically any point in the race? It never happens. 21 of these Japanese guys run 204 pace through 15K. It's just amazing, like, the, the mindset they have and just that's their approach. It's essentially all or nothing. And I wish we'd thrown some Americans in this race, but... <laughs> They probably would have gone out like 104. We need the Mar- we need the Japanese mindset. I mean, clearly it doesn't pay out for most people, but then some guys do sort of run 206s, 205s. But I think the U.S. also has fewer 
marathoners at that level to just throw like you you only have so many elite marathoners in the united states and throwing them all in tokyo and just telling them all to go out 62 flat and i think it's necessarily the best use of their resources major props to cam levens it's great that he got the north american record too khalid kanucci's mark of 205.38 was the world record in 2001 or 2002 now it's like the 270th best time which is crazy how it's changed but these Japanese things, and some of them, you know, it's cool, but it reminds me of the threat of like, oh, you got to lead. You got to be honorable. Like, is it not just stupid? Like, I, I really want to know how many of them actually think like, oh, I'm going to go out and run 205 today. Or do they just know like, hey, my sponsor wants me to go out this fast. I'm going to blow up and drop out at 30K. Oh, for some of them, it is undoubtedly stupid. And I think you need to, know your body well enough to like it's going out in 62 low is that something that's just going to totally destroy me or am i at least handled ready to like you know i can handle it even if things go badly i can still put it together for some of them it's unquestionably idiotic but for others it's just being aggressive so i don't know but talking about levens weldon you alluded to it talent doesn't go away and i thought rory linkletter the former canadian record holder in the half marathon he had a tweet right after this race. He said, super talent plus unrivaled work ethic and durability equals 205.36. Is it as simple as that? Or is there, are there factors missing from that equation? I think there's factors missing because it wasn't like Levin was known for like running like 180 miles a week in college. Salazar backed him off that, right? And didn't want him doing that. But because it's probably not, maybe he viewed it as not sustainable. You beat yourself down, but maybe with the new technology and the shoes, he's obviously physiologically suited for running a ton, but now he's not just trashing his body doing that because he's got, you know, the, the shoes on. Well, he also got pretty good results running 180 miles a week in college. I mean, he was the NCAA champion in the 5K and 10K. He beat Paul Chalimo and Lobby Lang in the 5K. So, I don't know. The way I see Cam Levens is he's kind of like what every runner, you know, would like to think that they would be like if you had the talent and the dur- if you had the durability to run 180 miles a week, you would like to think, oh, I would be like Cam Levens and I would work as hard as I possibly can and get everything out of my talent. But I, I don't know if people would. If people have, like, I, like if I had the durability to run 180 miles a week, would I really be going out there and doing it? I don't know. I mean, I would like to, like, 120 miles, okay. I was running, like, 100 miles a week at the end of college. I'm like, oh, 120, I think I could probably do that, but it's hard. 180 is just so much freaking running. So I think people look at that and be like, oh, yeah, that's what I would do if my body could hand up, handle that training. But I don't think a lot of guys do. do. Like, he's pushing the limits. This is a crazy mega mileage and it takes guts to run that much. Obviously you need to have a certain amount of durability uh, to not totally break down running that kind of mileage. And you got to take care of your body as well. Like there's more that goes into it and just trying to work hard, but also like the, just the, the guts to actually run that much and to take that bigger risk. Maybe it's not a risk anymore because he's been doing it for so long, but it certainly was when he started. I really admire that. I'm just glad that he he was able to achieve this because he had those lean years 
I mean, he ran 212 at the Marathon Project in Arizona in 2020. So, you know, 209 in 2018. I mean, I think in college, based on his accomplishments, if you say he's a marathoner, you'd think he's going to be a sub-210 guy and then give him super shoes. 207, 208 wouldn't sound crazy. I mean, back in the day, people used to run 20. I can see him running 206, 205. I mean, if Ryan Hall ran 206, this guy should probably be running 205s and super shoes if he's made for the marathon. But you remember John at Worlds when I interviewed him and I was like, how do you explain this breakthrough, which was a 20709 at the time? He's like, oh man, just in the workouts, I've just been like running more than ever before. And just on the workouts, I just run every rep faster and harder than ever before. And I hate to say it, but some people are going to be like drugs. I, just, I don't I, I don't think he's on drugs at all, but it was like amazing. Like, oh, what's the key to your breakouts? Oh, just run more than before and run every rep faster and you're before, and he just felt amazing at it. So I don't know what's been going on. Well, maybe he is a guy who is like a super responder to the shoes, Robert. I mean, obviously he's still working his ass off, but like you said, maybe it is that he's now just able to train faster and recover better with this mega mileage because he has the shoes. It is pretty incredible. He broke the Canadian record, which has stood for 43 years when he ran his debut in Toronto in 2018, he ran 209.25. After that, he didn't break 210 again until last year when you know he was 72nd at the Olympics. People are looking at that, they're like, wow, you know, is this guy done? And I, I guess he'd run 210 to make the Olympics earlier that year, so not totally done. But last year, 207.09, he took over two minutes off his PR, finished his fourth at Worlds. And then to improve again on that by another 93 seconds... Huge improvements. I mean, he's not super old. He's 33 for a marathoner. That's not crazy old. I just, I don't know. It is crazy how much he's improved the last two years, though. I would like to talk a little bit about NCAA. So one last thing about Tokyo. Betsy Sena, former NCAA champion, right, John, for Iowa State. Iowa State. She defeated Dartmouth's Abby D'Agostino, outkicked her in the 2012 NCAA cross-country championships in Louisville. You know, it was like a 30 flat low runner, right? Give me your track. 30.0710 KPB. Pre super shoes. Anyways, now an American. She makes her debut for, in the marathon for America, runs 221.40 for fifth. So we should probably, that place is her third in terms of fastest US marathon or since 2022. Emily Sisson, 218.29. Curity Model, 219.12. Sana, 221.40. Sarah Hall, 222.10. Emma Bates, 223.18. So I think those are the five, well, you got really, I, I would say seven big names for the, the, the trials. Those five, plus Molly Seidel and Alephine Tulemac. I, I don't think, who else is going to make the team? Yeah, I mean, Natasha Rogers said she's trying to make her debut this fall and okay. probably run the Olympic trials. So she's, I think she's talented enough to at least maybe be a factor. And we, we should probably have a show like after NCAs because it kind of dies down. There's not going to be a lot of results before the marathon season where we, John, I think we did this in 2020. We predict the Olympic team, which we'll is go event by event and do it. This puts her in the hunt. You know, it, it, it's a decent result. Yeah. I think the thing for her is if you look at some of these other women who she's competing for spots for one, she's a lot younger than someone like Kira D'Amato and Sarah Hall and Hall and D'Amato have shown you can still run fast when you're old, but 
sometimes you're also more susceptible to injuries. And Kira DeMato raced a ton of marathons last year. Sarah Hall has been banged up the last few months as well. So right now, the big thing for her is she's running well and she's healthy. And Molly Seidel, we know she's not... I mean, I guess we'll get us. We'll see what Molly Seidel does this weekend in Nagoya, but her recent results haven't shown that she's in the kind of shape she was when she made the team in 2020, whereas Sina is on the upward trajectory. If she can keep this going for another 10 months and even improve on her fitness a little bit more, she's going to be in a great spot for this Olympic team, uh, to make this Olympic team. Yeah, if you're Sarah Hall... Wasn't a good run for you. Maybe Kiridimato, even. Not a good run for you. It's not good for any American trying to make the Olympic team. It's another fish. It's another shark in a tank to contend with. I mean, they'll say outwardly they're happy. Like, it's nice to see American marathon doing well. But if your goal is to make the Olympic marathon team, having another world-class athlete to compete against, that's going to make it more difficult for you. Yeah, we weren't thinking a year ago, like, oh, Betsy's saying it's going to be an American and, and make the team. It just takes away a spot. I mean, it's not guaranteed she makes the team. But also another thing, this is her first, you know, marathon back since she had the baby. So she had the baby, like, what, like 14 months ago or something? Not that December long December 2021, yes. So 15. That, and, so that's another reason you think she can keep right. improving. Like, we saw it with Sally Kipiego four years ago. Yeah, for really good run. And we need more bodies. You know, we're talking about the Japanese men, Japanese women. The more people running at 220, the more people are going to try to go under 220. And Sisson's throwing it out there. Demato's run pretty fast. The game's changed, John. As you said, 216 is the old 219. So the new cutoff for... It's going to sound crazy, but you probably need to be... 220 runner or better if you want to think about making this Olympic team. Oh, that kind of fitness. Yeah. Yeah. All right. NCAA indoors this weekend, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Can't wait to see Robert hang out with, with him for a couple of days at this meet. Also going to see some track at some point. Wait, John. Can't leave Japan, Tokyo yet. Surprised Robert didn't go here. All he does is start threads about this, guys. Japan's Chichiro Miyawaki. Sure, I got nailed that one. 28.45 marathoner previously. Said if he didn't qualify for the Japanese, I love this name, Marathon Grand Championships, which is their Olympic trials, he would quit the sport. What did he do? He went out in 62 minutes, like everybody else from Japan. Bombed it. Ran 2.13.27. And it being a true Japanese, he held to his word and quit the sport. So I love this. Just he's not effing around anymore. He's like, I'm old. Or you know, he's not old. He's only 31. 31. Calling it a day. He's American, they'd hang on for like four more years and cash a paycheck. All right, so looking ahead to NCAA indoors. I'm very excited for the men's races on the distance side. And Robert's probably going to come in and say, oh, he's super, you know, sexist pig, which I'm not. But 
it's only because on the women's, I guess there are some race, races on the women's side that do excite me. But I would say the 3K and 5K, I'm fairly confident that Caitlin Tui is going to win those. And that's more, I view that as more of an exhibition of Caitlin Tui's greatness than competitive races. But who knows? It's at altitude. I'm, I don't know. Has Caitlin Tui ever run at altitude before? I don't, I don't know what her training's like, but. I'm guessing she's not that familiar with it. Maybe that's an X factor. So I think those races could be very exciting if Tui is challenged. Because remember, she's broken the NCAA record in the mile in the 3K this year. She's the NCAA cross champ. This is kind of the two. This is the one thing she hasn't done in the NCAA is win an NCAA indoor title. She was second in the 3K, 5K last year. But Tui, Tui's always. I guess I should be say, saying say it's always fun to watch Tui race. So that's going to be good. And then a lot of these other races. They're pretty wide open. Like the men's distance races, you've got a lot of what I would consider big names, the NCAA running circles. Dylan Jacobs, Kai Robertson, Drew Bosley, Nico Young, Charles Hicks. They're all running the 5K. Most of them are doubling back for the 3K. Alex Mayer from Oklahoma State as well. In the mile, Washington's got six guys. Joe Wascom, the NCAA outdoor champ, he's the, you know, the top Washington guy. By C, but then you've got Anas Asai from South Carolina. From he's Moroccan, ran three fifty this year, almost broke the NCAA record. You've got record-setting DMRs, the eight hundred. You've got some freshman phenoms on the men's and women's sides. Will Sumner of Georgia, the SEC champion as a true freshman, and on the women's side, Juliet Whitaker and Rasheem Willis of Stanford, and they're going up against Michaela Rose of LSU, who is. Still only 19 years as well, though she's not a freshman. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm pumped. This is a meet where you sort of stars are born. People break out and emerge. They reach new levels. I'm very excited for this. Robert Weldon, what is getting you excited about this meet? Oh, I don't take Caitlin Tui for granted. I think it's one of the coolest stories we've seen. Hyped phenom since eighth grade. Kind of struggle at the end of her high school year. I think actually having COVID that year was good for her because we didn't notice how much she was struggling. Doesn't have a super great freshman year and now sort of hits the plateau that we're saying that we should see women hit and then comes out the other side. So for her to complete, you know, the get the wins that she's never won in, in indoor meet would be amazing. But uh, I mean, since again, it's like, okay, if you have the best speed, how are you going to lose? She's also got the best endurance. I wouldn't think she's going to lose, but there's a reason why we run the race. But for the men, it is wide open. I mean, we in the men's preview, we put these polls in. No one's getting 50% of the votes. Like, you know, it's, it's just like 20% here, 20% there, 15%, 33%. You know, and it's going to be really interesting to see who comes up. I also am also... And, and, interested in seeing how the, the University of Washington does in that mile. Like, how many guys can they put in the final? Do they work together as a team to try to somehow come up with a strategy? Or is it every man for himself? It's nice. Asai, the 350 miler from, from, from South Carolina. Can they win enough points to possibly put them in it for the, for the team title? And then on, on the men's 800, I think it's a cool story. Will Sumner, high school phenom, gets in as the last guy. He's currently leading the Let's Run prediction 
on the votes. So will he win it? Yeah, the Sumner race is fascinating. Reminds me, Robbie Andrews back in 20... I think he's a different kind of runner than Robbie Andrews. From what I can tell, Sumner runs... Well, I guess from in high school, he was running in the front because he was better than everyone else. But Robbie was the ultimate kicker. I don't really know. I'm not that familiar with how Sumner races at this level. But he's the last true freshman to win this race back in 2010. He beat Andy Weeding. And... Yeah, that should be fun. Some of the sprints, I mean, we could see a world record in the women's 60. Julian Alfred, she ran 697 NCAA record at Big 12s, and now she gets a few extra thousand feet of altitude in Albuquerque. The women's 400 as well, Talitha Diggs and Rashidat Adeleke, that's going to be great. They both broke the collegiate record at conference weekend and now they're racing each other head to head that's gonna i mean that might just be whoever gets to 200 first you know because the indoor 400 it's so much about that first 200 that should be i hope they're in the same heat in the final let's just say that so i I want i'll put it to you robert washington has six entries in the men's mile how many scorers and is the winner of that race a washington husky or not that's a good question I think if we have a winner, we've got a real phenom and Joe Wascom. I was expecting him to, he won last year outdoors. He runs the 351 or whatever it was. I'm like, okay, he's legit. This guy's going to be, this is popping off the, the charts talent. He's going to win NCAs. This is like another Centro. This is like another Magoose weeding type, Andrews type. But then he bombed last week, so there's a little bit of doubt. Can he turn it around? He didn't seem phased. I hope that he does win. I just, since he didn't run great in that last race, I'm going to say he doesn't. I'm going to go with the South Carolina kid. I'm going to say four scores, no Washington win. What about you? I was also going to say four. I think you set the line at three and a half. Because remember, they had four in the top seven and NCAA Outdoors last year. So, sorry, three in the top seven. And all three of those guys are running this meet as well. Plus, they added Brian Fay, who's running the mile. Um, yeah, I think four scorers. I do think Washington runner wins. And I think it's going to be Wascom. But I also have a tendency to just pick the... 1500 champ when they run the mile that didn't happen uh the last time it was 2019 ollie hall was in there and he lost to geordie beamish so could it happen yeah i, I i'm picking wascom though I, I think he's a big talent i think he could be the next great one so that's where i stand weldon how many scores how many wins Anasasai is running the mile fresh, John? Yeah. Okay, he wins. How many scores? Four. All right, so you're uh, in lockstep with Robert there. And I guess I wanted to also ask Robert, the 5K, 3K on the men's side, do you have a guy you like more than anyone else? Because I listed off some a bunch of names earlier. Dylan Jacobs and... Charles Hicks have both won NCAA titles in the past. Drew Bosley broke the NCAA record in the 3K this year. 
Alex May has been running very, very well for Oklahoma State. Nico Young recently hasn't been doing, he hasn't had a great indoor season by his standards, but he's got a very strong track record at NCAAs. He's run 13 11 outdoors. Anyone stand out to you in those events? No. I, I wish I knew more about it. Like d- d- maybe should I text some coaches, John? Like I was thinking about that. Like, wow, these guys are all good. Like who's got the better kick? Yeah. I didn't even mention Kai Robinson either. who was second in this race last year in the 5k, but that's what great. That's what's great about this meet. You just get the higher. You, we find out the hierarchy on Friday night when they run the 5k. Cause you're going to figure out pretty soon where they all stack up against each other. Well, according to the polls, Drew Bosley's the heavy favorite. Well, you know, 35% of people are picking him. 20% are picking Kai Robinson. 18% Dylan Jacobs. 9% Charles Hicks and Nico Young. 7% Alex Meyer. I don't think Meyer's going to win it because wasn't he the guy that ran USA Cross and wasn't in good shape? Or was this I.E. Rodriguez, his teammate? Oh, never mind. It's interesting, though. Normally, my predictions, I make my predictions in the article and that person will get a bump. And I picked Dylan Jacobs and he's only third in the vote. So people are really big believers in Drew Bosley, which will be interesting to see. I mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing that I think could be the difference. This meets at elevation and Drew Bosley is coming down. All these other guys are coming up. So... That's clearly an advantage for Drew Bosley. Is it enough to put him over the top and win? I don't know, but he's the only one of these, you know, star contenders. I guess Nico Young does as well. But he, you know, he trains at elevation year round. One last thing. I didn't realize I, I think that's right, John. I think Rob I, that's why I would I, I would go with him, Bosley, because of the altitude. It's interesting to note that Charles Kai Robinson just a couple weeks ago, destroyed Charles Hicks in the 3,000. It was 742 to 747. Now, which one of them just signed a Nike deal, John? Charles Hicks, NAL deal, yep. So now both NCAA cross-country champions have signed NAL deals with the company that sponsors their school. So It's sort of interesting because he's British. I feel like being NCAA champion doesn't mean as much as, as if you're British. Like if this was Nico Young and he had won NCAs, there'd be a little more buzz. Correct. But for the record, he must not be British or be like John, British and American at the same time. Because I learned recently it's illegal for a foreign athlete to sign an AL deal. That's what I was told by a top coach. So he must be using his American citizenship to get the deal done. Because otherwise you're violating your your visa. Uh, I see. All right, so Weldon, you wanted to go... John, is he American? Well, he's lived in America for, you know, I think more than 10 years at this point. He grew up in... He, he was similar to me. He was in England for a while, and then he moved to Jacksonville. He made his NIL announcement wearing a Trevor Lawrence Jacksonville Jaguars jersey, so he might be the only Jacksonville Jaguars fan I've ever met in person. But it, is one parent American? I'm not sure. Sh- 
According to current-affairs.org, his father David and mother Margaret were both born in London. But according to Let'sRun.com, November 20th, 2022, Let's Run.com forum, Charles is an American citizen with American heritage. His parents were in London because his father was operating a business there. So that would imply one is American. I believe Let's Run.com forum is probably more accurate than current-affairs.org. Yeah, we, we don't need to be delving into the details here. How about we go back to running? Well, then you want to talk about the women's 800. I do too. I think this race is super exciting because you've got some of America's brightest young talents in here. I mean, the top three seeds are all tremendous. Rasheem Willis, the world under 20 champion. Michaela Rose from LSU has run two flat point one eight this year. And Juliet Whitaker of Stanford, who is the high school record holder in the 800 meters. She ran 159 last year. And then you've also got Imogen Barrett, Florida, run 201. You know, it's a good field, but these teen phenoms, they're the big story. And I think it's going to be interesting to see who comes out on top there. Whit- Whit- Whitaker and Willis had a nice little friendly rivalry last year. Now they're teammates, but these are, these could be the next generation of what is one of America's strongest running events, the women's 800. I don't know if I dare do this. John, do you want to be challenged right now or not? Is this a trivia question or something? This, this could hurt you with the fans. Throw, throw it out there. All three of these women won medals last year at the World Junior Championships. Are you aware of that fact? I did not know that Michaela Rose won a medal. But wait, wait, wait. Can I redeem myself? Was it in the 400 hurdles? Bing, 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 bing. Okay, then in the back, in the deep recesses of my mind, I think I did know that, I, you know, intuitively. I didn't know that until about 30 minutes ago. But she's run really, I mean, we talk about Caitlin Tui, blah, blah, blah. I, mean, I guess maybe Caitlin Tui could sneak a world's team this year, like in a 5K. But the, making the US team for 800 is so hard. But if you're a sub two 800 meter runner, like that's competitive on the world stage. You can go to yeah. your dime, you can go to Diamond League and hold your own. And so the NCAA list, Willis Leeds, 159.98. Michaela Rose, I think she she beat, let's see here. Yeah, she beat Willis at the Razorback Invitational this year by two seconds. I mean, that's a stomping. And you know, Juliet Whitaker's won two flat thirty two. Were they in different heats? No, correct, Robert. Correct. Wow. Good one. Rojo impressing the fans. They're impressing the fans. But because Willis and Whitaker were one three at World Juniors under twenty championships last year. So everyone's still with them. They're high school super phenoms in the eight hundred. Michaela Rose won an outdoor high school title. She was really good, but she just wasn't quite as good as these. But she's my new favorite phenom 800-meter runner. Last year at USA, she did the 400-meter hurdles and the 800, both. And she didn't really do many 800s last year. I mean, many 400-meter hurdles last year for LSU. She was more running the eight. But then made the junior team at 400-meter hurdles, gets the bronze there, and this year has figured out something with the 800 because she's at a whole other level. I mean, if you're going from like... I think 204 is down to two flat. You figured it out. 
yeah, no, these three are all monster talents, and watching them battle it out, that's going to be that may be the race of the weekend in Albuquerque is that women's eight hundred. The fact that this 400 hurdle 800 thing is fascinating. For the record, she did run 202.49 SECs last year, so she was second. But she didn't run a single. Well, she ran one 400 hurdles for LSU, 57.6 on April 9th. Exclusively pretty much an 800 runner. And then just does USA Juniors and World Juniors. Just proves Sydney needs to move up, right? Well, let's one break if Sydney just said, I'm, I'm change my mind. I'm doing the 800 this year. It will be insane until she runs her first 800 and then all the hype immediately dies down when they run it. Like when Warren ran his first 800, people are like, oh, Warren is running 800. And then it's like, oh, he didn't do that well. All right. You know. I forgot about that. That was pre-John at Let's Run, right? Wow. Well, by the time he actually ran his 800, though, I thought I might have been working for you guys because they let that hype go for a long, long time. I'm looking. Yeah, he made his debut. 2015. All right. This is the only 800 meter race ever on Jeremy Warner's resume, according to Tillis Tapia. He won the race. Can you guys remember what time he ran? I'm, I've, I'm pretty sure I know what it is. All right. Then, Weldon, you guess first. Okay. It's got to be Florida, I think. I'm going to go with 152. Robert? Uh, I was going to say it's either 156 or 158. I'm just not sure which one. I'm going to. Say 158. No, Weldon was closer. It's 153.02, the 2015 Bobcat Invitational in San Marcos, Texas. He did it once? One with a victory, John? He never knew. 1 and 0, undefeated. I was wondering how Randolph Ross, what do we think his chances are for his dad? At, oh, wait, that's not happening. Just looking at last year's results. Randolph Ross is busted with drugs. Brandon Miller. Randolph Ross was not busted with drugs. He had a whereabouts. He had, he was banned for whereabouts failures. Let me stand correct. He was busted for a rules, anti-doping rules. Anti-doping violation. rules violation. He never tested positive. And I never meant to insinuate that. He just refused to get, just uh, didn't it get was a, It was a term of speech, John. But we don't want to get sued, so thank you for collecting the record. Speaking of names being tarnished, it's I was thinking this the other day, like, wait, Al Mo's boyfriend, Brandon Miller, who won NCAA indoors last year as a big talent, and was like, wait, does he have the same name, though, as this Alabama basketball player that's in some hot water? And he does, right? It's the exact same name, Brandon Miller. One is a world-class track and field athlete that used to run for Texas A&M, and one is a world-class basketball playing player playing for Alabama, even though he recently drove a gun to the scene of a murder scene. Scene of a murder. Yes. Is there any reason you're bringing this up right now? Just struck me today that they have the same name. Robert Johnson has got the same name as the famous blues singer and probably about 100 other thousand people in the United States. Former owner of the Charlotte Bobcats, the former coach of the University of Oregon's. Oh, you guys are making, yeah, you guys are making points. So no one confuses me with them. So I guess it'll be okay for him. Okay. One other thing I wanted to say about NCAA is if you want to watch this thing, you got to pony up. It's on ESPN Plus. 
this is the first time I can remember it being behind a paywall. Now, people are saying, like, this is not a, you know, I guess it's definitely different than previous years when it was either on ESPN or it was on Watch ESPN. You could watch it with a cable package. You still needed a cable package to watch in previous years, but now you need the ESPN subscription, which is $10 for one month. I saw a lot of outrage about this on Twitter. People are very upset. It's obviously not great for the sport to have this thing behind a paywall, but at the same time, it's just like ESPN has the rights. They buy it as part of the rights to a bunch of different NCAA sports. And I don't know. Does it really? I guess my question for ESPN is, is it really going to make you that much money putting this one event behind a paywall? Like not that many people are watching NCAA indoors anyway, but maybe they get parents to sign up for it. I don't know. I'm not a fan of this decision, but people are like, oh, track and field needs to fix this. Well, it's like, this is kind of out of track and field's hands. This is the NCAA. It's above their pay grade. It's the NCAA and it's ESPN. Track and field doesn't really have a say in this. Oh, I don't know about that, John, because I think the coaches association, they've been paying some money to ESPN or something, and they've been getting the cross country produced live on ESPNU. So I think, Oh, so if you pay for it or something, yeah. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure, but uh, they haven't been putting the cross-country in ESPN+. Plus. Look, my only beef with this is treat the sports fairly, similarly. I don't know. A a cable package for me was just something you had. Everybody, you got to have it if you want to be a sports fan. Maybe for some 20-year-old, an ESPN Plus is cheaper than a cable package. But if the D2 and D3 meets are free... Why is it allowed to put this behind a separate paywall? Essentially, would be my argument. NCA one, the NCA right would never on its own say, oh, "Hey, D two, D three, you got to pay ten dollars to watch this shit." Because be like, "Oh, you, you're you're profiting off amateur athletes or something." But if ESPN does it, it's fine. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a fan of it. We criticized FlowTrack a few years ago when they put the NCAA cross country championships behind a paywall. FlowTrack will. That one was more they scooped up the rights to the meat and then put it under over the paywall, but... Flowtrack's like 30 bucks. If you want to watch something one-off. I mean, here you still have to sign up a cancel, which is a pain in the ass. But it's 10 bucks. I gotta watch what I say, because I can see myself in five years having my own paywall behind the scenes and trying to make tons of money, because... Like, but I personally do hate these business models. But hey, we've got our supporters club paywall. Sign up today, let'srun.com slash subscribe. Now, this bothers me. There's a great thread started by former D1 coach saying, the greed of the NCAA Who could that be? Knows no- this guy sounds smart. ESPN- 99%, right? Guaranteed it's him. The greed of the NCAA and ESPN knows no bounds. ESPN D1 track goes behind ESPN plus paywall. It's got 34 up votes, three down votes. It's kind of interesting because yeah, I still have cable TV. I have YouTube TV. So I'm already paying for ESPN. So Walden's like, yeah, that's actually more expensive though than actually ESPN Plus. I just don't like ESPN Plus. I'm like, we've already got, we've already ruined college sports with these conference realignments and all this dumb money. The basketball coach does not need to make $10 million a year. They could do just fine on one. I guess you could say that about anything in society. But this did bother me. I don't like it. But I'm not, I, I said, I'm not really opposed to, oh, I said, Someone said on the message board that I'm not really opposed to like, I get why there's a charge for it, 
Because, I mean, if you go to the meet, they're going to charge you to go. You're going to spend thousands of dollars, if not certainly hundreds of dollars to get there, get a hotel, et cetera. But I'm like, if they're not charging D2 and D3, why are you charging D1? This is a, basically a non-revenue sport. So don't do it. And I think it's bad for going to sport. And I think that if the coaches association can have any say in it, they should mandate that this doesn't happen. Like the NCAA, they're making enough money. Like there's so much, it's all about football and basketball and what ESPN's paying for that. This is like chicken shit for them, but they're trying to like ESPN struggling with their monetization. So they're trying to get a few more people to pay up for ESPN plus ESPN is never going to be a big money maker. Robert, the, the numbers on streaming are staggering. Like everybody, Peacock, ESPN, they're losing like billions of dollars a year. Somebody correct me. I'll correct it if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I saw that. I mean, that's a lot. Think about that. That's like probably like a hundred bucks a subscriber. They're not even coming close to breaking even on these things. So, no, no, you say the greed of them. They're like losing a shitload of money by streaming every college basketball game. Every, I mean, ESPN Plus, if you're like, if you're just a hardcore college sports fan, which I'm not sure some people are, like, if, you, if you're into like college women's soccer, it isn't necessarily you're into like college men's lacrosse. But you can watch almost all of that shit now on ESPN Plus. So, but it's mainly because the 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 entities like the Ivy League give them their games, I think, for free because they want that distribution. Who's paying for the production? Producing a game ain't free. I'll say that much. And there aren't there aren't three hundred parents for a lacrosse game. So. I believe largely the schools are paying for the production and putting it on ESPN Plus, okay. which seems ridiculous to me. If they're doing that, they should, should put it behind their own paywall. But yeah, ESPN brings extra eyeballs, though. It, well, it does when it's on ESPN. When it's on Watch ESPN or ESPN Plus, I'm not sure about that. More than Flow Track, no, way more. When I was doing Ivy League broadcast, they said anything. This is back in the day when it was Watch ESPN or ESPN Three. They said any Ivy broadcast that was put on there got like 10 times as much viewers as if they were just doing it themselves. Well, if you're a college kid listening to this, it's pretty simple. You just, everyone throws in two bucks and you get together and watch it on Friday and Saturday night. It shouldn't be that complicated, but yeah, I wish it was a little easier. What about this? Although I'd probably get caught, right? Robert, you're not streaming this thing. Or radio broadcast. None of that. I just put a cell phone up. No. I guess they could tell where it was coming from. Why would someone's going to, somebody who gives a shit's going to pay for an HD broadcast of this thing? It's 10 yeah. bucks. Get over it. 10 bucks, people. This isn't the end of the world. It's not $35. All right. That is going to do it for this episode. We didn't really talk about the Euros, but I don't think there's that much to say about thing. the Euros, honestly. I think that NCA, when they sell these minor sports, say you, you broadcast it on one of your actual TV stations. Every national championship is on there. Women's field hockey, men's track, etc. I mean, when I was writing for the school newspaper of Princeton, that's the way we did anything. On Mondays, we covered what we said would be the two big sports, men's football and men's basketball. And then we treated the non-revenue sports pretty much the same. We kind of did it in order of importance. Like track, men's and women's track might be on Tuesday. Squash might be on Wednesday. But we basically, you had your revenue sports, which were treated differently. And then we tried to treat the other sports 
in an equitable fashion. Even though Problem I'm sure is ESPN is probably going to want to show conference tournament coverage or NCAA tournament stuff this weekend and not show track and field for three or four hours. Is it usually not this weekend? It's always this weekend, but the last few ones have, have been on ESPN. Watch ESPN. They haven't actually been the NCAA outdoor meet gets on actual ESPN or ESPN two. This meets usually been on watch ESPN the last few years, oh, which is free. But- yeah. Well, free with a cable subscription. Maybe this gets some other thing, John. Maybe some of these events aren't broadcast at all. What? No. See, John thinks if it's not broadcast on the internet, it doesn't exist. I think, hey. Why, why, would, why is that a good thing? Force people to go. Force people to fly to Albuquerque, New Mexico to watch an indoor track meet. No, come on. This is ridiculous. Make it special. You're just thinking about, you're thinking this helps Let's Run because we'd actually be at the it meet and we're able run. to give more. Yeah, because well, people wouldn't be able to watch it. They'd have to come to Let's Run, Let's run to find out what happened. Or they could go to flashresults.com and figure out what happened too. But uh, it wasn't some grand conspiracy. I, I just think like, yeah, it's convenient for the parents, but it's like, okay, do we really need to broadcast every, I mean, my, my son, my wife just signed him up for T-ball. Should I stream the practice to the parents? Well, will you watch it next to the next? This week? is not a T-ball practice. This is one of the most competitive indoor trap meets in the entire world. It should be broadcast. Well, Robert and I, we will actually we won't be paying admission because we get our credentials comped by the NCAA. But we will be there this weekend, bringing you coverage of the meet. Looking forward to it very much. And Saturday night, we will try to do a live post meet show. If you're on the West Coast, definitely stay up, listen to it. If you're on the East Coast, you know maybe you have an excuse. But everyone in the Let's Run.com supporters club will have access to it the next day on demand as a podcast you can do let's run.com slash subscribe to sign up you get our bonus podcast we call it the friday 15 but really it's an hour every week rain or shine so looking forward to a big weekend at abq no way guys euro indoors we have to discuss this this one quote we broke down Jakob Ingebrigtsen's 1500 meter run on the friday 15 we already talked about Jakob for our supporters club members you guys missed a great conversation. His win over Neil Gorley. But after winning the 3K, here's his quote. And rarely do you see a poke that gets a lot of upvotes and downvotes at the same time. It was a feeling like I raced myself today. I would love to get some more competition, but maybe that is just me expecting too much. But then the poster points that after he got beat at the Worlds in the 1500, he said, I am beaten by people who are inferior to me. This guy's take is bad winner, bad loser. So what do you guys think of Jakob's quote? We don't need to talk about the 1500 quote. What do you think about this quote after winning the 3K? Well, he's acting like he's a lot better than everyone else, which in this race, he, he was. So it's, I think Jakob says what the dominant guy previous years maybe thinks, but you know, a little, they don't feel like saying it or don't feel the need to say it because Essentially, what Jakob is saying is what anyone who watched the race would know. He's a class above the guys he raced at Euro Indoors in the in the three thousand specifically. Um, but I don't mind. I don't know. The, we 
the reason why Jakob Ingebrigtsen is fun to interview is he's very blunt. He will tell you exactly what he's thinking. He doesn't really pull punches. He thinks highly of himself, but he's also the Olympic champion in the 15 and the world champion in the 5,000. And he's 22 years old. So he has a lot of, you know, he backs it up. So yeah, this is a pretty typical Jakob quote. I'm not really surprised to see it. And I'll link to this thread. Posters are saying, hey, I need to see the question that prompted it. And somebody went to the Norwegian and translates it. But this supporters club member Clay, John, just like he says, I find it refreshing that someone simply says what they think in a post-race interview. Do you just want more platitudes and made-up niceties and cliches that most athletes provide? And then related to that, the guy who actually translated this stuff from Norwegian at the end says this comment. He's, I think he's maybe being a little facetious. I agree that he rather should say something along the fact of, phew, I was extremely lucky today. I had to fight for every meter and had trouble just hanging on. Crossing the finish line was the main goal today. will be the goal for the rest of the season. season. It is humbling to face off against 15 better runners. Right. I mean, when Jakob got beat by Jake Whiteman at Wells last year, he's like, yeah, I got, you know, I, I screwed up. It's on me. I got beat by a runner I think I'm better than basically but at the same time like I don't know that's what he's thinking going to the race he's thinking I should win this race he's thinking he's the best guy and then he doesn't win he's like I screwed up that's I'm sure there are many athletes who think that way and obviously there are a lot of good guys in all these races but I just I appreciate the more him giving us his actual mindset as opposed to him just saying wanting to give everyone in the field their due and everything like that it's like no this is how he thinks about it this is the standard he holds himself to I appreciate that. And some of it, I think, is the translation, right? If he used the word inferior runner, like a native English speaker won't, wouldn't use that word because there's some con- there's a, right, a right. very negative connotation. But if I was speaking Spanish, I would be like, I got beat by someone who's not as good as me. You know, I wouldn't say, but I might say, I don't know the word how to say that. So in Spanish, I might say who's inferior to me. Right, which right. I think is essentially what he's saying. He's like, I got beat by someone I shouldn't lose to, which was true. Maybe in the 15, because there's tactics. So that's the beauty of it. Okay, let me say a few things about this. John, you made a good point that he's very blunt. I mean, do you remember when he... Let's talk about... Remember when he lost World Indoors? If I knew I was going to be complete shit tonight, I would, of course, do a lot of things different. And then, I think it was a pre-classic, John. He had a quote similar to what he had just the other day at, at Euros. He said something like, it's not like they're not they're, they're they're trying to just let me beat them. They're doing the best they can. Didn't he say something like that? It was kind of a yeah. controversial quote. And then I'm actually I I can't find that exact quote from Pre, but I'm reading it. Well, essentially, was he was saying like he's like, "Are you disappointed?" They asked him, "Were you disappointed you didn't have more competition?" He's like, "Well, you can't." Like I, he's basically just like, "Well, I'm better than them. Like it's it's unfair to expect them to compete when I'm faster." I mean, I mean, it was kind of true, though, in that race. Which, which that confuses me because he's kind of saying the opposite here. He's like, oh, I wish they were better. Whereas last summer when he was basically asked the same question, he's like, how could we expect them to be better? They're just doing the best they are. So it's basically the same quote, but a different take. But apparently at European last year, he was accused of being arrogant. But even by the Norwegian press, one of the leading sports commentators said he sounds like an idiot. They were mad that he didn't stop and talk to very many press members. So... And he said that somebody else prevented him from running better. So whatever. I love Jakob. He's 
great for the sport. He, he competes all the time. He normally does meet with the media. Sometimes you can get him and he'll remember you're at indoors. He just talked to us world indoors last year for like 10 minutes straight. And then world outdoors. Yeah, no, no world indoors. I talked to him for like 10 minutes straight after, after the semis. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. And it's going to come full circle when I coach him to the 2028 oh my Olympic 1500 meter title. He's probably still listening to the podcast right now. Jakob, thank you. We still love you. Keep listening. Also, does Robert even get credit if he takes over one of the most talented 1500 runners ever who's already won an Olympic title and then he coaches him to a second Olympic title? I guess no one's ever won to apart from Seb Coe, but do you get that much credit for just getting a guy to do something he's already done, Robert? Well, you you write... 500 words every other week by Andy Powell taking the sub four minute milers that he got to sub four minute miles. So I would think I would Foster deserve credit four minute miles though. Particularly if I take a guy that can't win at 1500 now and I take him back to the glory <laughs> line. Whoa. Okay. A global 1500 meter title. I love him. I root for him. I hope he wins everything. That, that's... Yeah. Look, is, is he a little arrogant? Yeah. But he's also a world champ and the Olympic champ. So I don't mind it. Robert says that he loves them and roots for them. But then I think on last week's podcast said there was zero chance he could win a 1500 meter title. <laughs> Wasn't that a quote? Well, that was just Robert getting carried away. He Sometimes Robert has a tendency to get caught up in the moment. That one, I think he just, he strayed a little bit too far from reality. It's really hard because he's trying, he has to be the rabbit for these damn fields. I don't know what the solution is. We'll have to think about it. I meant to put that out in social media, but last week I was, doing the let's run taxes any accountants out there let me know i'm never doing them again myself we file a 1065 let me know send me a price quote for next year all right everybody till the live post nca show signing off say goodbye to safety pins at races with bibborbs.com these things use the snap and lock technology that started a revolution to secure the bib Safe, straight, and secure with no holes, rusting, or jabbing your fingers. You have to check this out. The cleanest and greenest way to the finish line. Link in the show notes, bibboards.com. Use code Let's Run to save 20%. B-I-B-B-O-A-R-D-S.com. Use code Let's Run to save 20%. Thanks in advance.